set yourself outside of your comfort zone and to get involved in things that you're not really used to and talk to people. You can constantly learn from other people. Welcome to another episode of Spotlight with Neil Cunningham, frontline doctor in the in an ITU and also the co-founder and CEO of Elite Journey. We'll start with just a little bit of background into Elite uh, Journey. Just uh, give us a bit of an intro, who you are and what the business does. Yeah, so I'm Neil Cunningham and I am the co-founder of Elite Journey. And Elite Journey is an international education company based between Cambridge here in the UK and Guangzhou in China and really what we try to do is um, to provide that sort of supracurricular, extracurricular and um, skills learning for students from across the world to help them be prepared for working in the 21st century and to help them become accountable global citizens. So it's really about giving them educational experience for those soft skills that people need in order to be successful in the world today. So it's interesting like uh, you've picked up on the soft skills of definitely a massive part of that interview process is yeah. around not what you can do. It's around like the soft yeah. skill element of you being human. And that's kind of what we're looking for uh, in team members because you have to spend as much time at work, if not more than at home or yeah. with your family. So it's, it's super important. So it's really interesting that you've got like a soft skills approach to the yeah. learning that you deliver. Well, soft skills, obviously really important, like you said, and everything that we try to teach our students, you know, we've got this student profile of exactly what we want to get out of our students. And that's exactly what I look for whenever I'm trying to employ people and recruit people into our team. But as well as that, what's interesting about, you know, starting a company working in Asia and China, they have historically and traditionally always been about, you know, teaching for exams. So it's, schools are like factories where students sit down, they revise, they work in school from nine in the morning to 10 at night. And there's no real focus on that. And what um, employers were saying is that just students who graduate aren't ready for work. Um, and they're looking for some of that Western educational concepts, these progressive educational concepts to translate into Asia. So that's what we really started focusing on um, and helping prepare students in Asia to be ready for working in an increasing globalized world and um, you know, where loads of people from different cultures are constantly mixing. And what's really important for students who are studying nowadays is that they know theory, but you've got to be able to apply that in a way which um, people will listen to you and in a way which you know, you're gonna do good with that knowledge. There's no point in knowing all of this stuff if you don't know how to enact it or use that in real life. So communication skills is really important. So we do lots of teaching um, with our students for debates and public speaking. And the great thing about debate and public speaking is that you can teach students not just their communication skills, but you can teach them how to think you know, rationally on the spot and to interact with people. Because it might be all well and good knowing everything about you know, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and like, um, understanding the science behind global warming and stuff. But if you can't then go out into the world and you know, enact on that knowledge and use that knowledge in order to convince people to listen to what you're saying and to do good with it, then what's the point of knowing it? It's all about, you know, actions as well as just the knowledge. So the business concept was developed whilst you were at uni? Yeah, so um, the way Elite Journey started was I was studying for medicine at Cambridge and at 
Cambridge is a little bit different to other universities. You've got really long periods of summer. So you've got eight week terms, three eight week terms, and the rest of it you're off to do study. <laughs> but what I decided to do was I went on a teaching program to China and during one of my summer holidays, it's a volunteering trip and we were teaching English in a secondary school. And I really loved my time out there in China, but what I didn't quite love was the teaching program that we were doing. And that's because it felt like um, it was the business is set up really just to sell white people to Asian parents. Um, so I really didn't like, I didn't think there's that much ethics behind it. I didn't feel like we were giving that good an education. Um, but whenever I was there, I met Austin, who's the other co-founder of Elite Journey who's based in China. And he was sort of running one of the international departments of the secondary school that we were working in. And um, so we got talking to him, I was explaining to him, um, but my passions for, you know, soft skill learning, how it's really important, and um, how I've seen it's helped me at university, and I think these kids could really benefit for it. So we got really talking and started incubating, you know, lots of ideas for different programs that we could do. And then, the next year, whilst still studying, um, we decided to launch our first program. So we launched our we launched our first program in summer of two thousand and sixteen, and that was one residential summer camp for about a hundred students in China. And then it was a success; it went great. We then brought lots of students from China over to the UK on an exchange program. We placed them into schools um, in the UK because another big part of what we do is cultural exchange, and um, so that was really important and um, then the next year we did two camps the following year we did three the next year we did nine and then we just kept going exponentially from there so it's like so you're really an unusual position you're actually a doctor and you've got a business yeah. which is <laughs> fucking madness really when you think about it which is a complete craziness so like how are you splitting <clears throat> how do you do how do you split your time between saving lives and like ful giving fulfiller life enrichment for what I mean it's a pretty big thing to, yeah. to have on your shoulders well I like to think of it in they're weirdly quite similar medicine and education but the way I'll talk firstly about splitting my time at university it was fairly easy to do because we had such long periods off my just been my summer each of my summers at university in China are running these programs so that wasn't so difficult, but then moving to working full time as a doctor, but not only that, being a doctor for the first time and starting my working life in the NHS in the midst of a pandemic <laughs> was, um, it was a difficulty to struggle and or to balance my time um, with those two things. But how I've done it is really by creating just the most amazing team around me um, to help me do that. So really, I like to think I'm very hands-on, um, but the way I can be hands-on at the right times um, is by having such an exceptional team around me. And we talked about recruitment earlier, and it's just about recruiting those people with the same passion and drive and energy that we do, that have that have this, the morals and that moral responsibility to really want to change lives of these students. Um, so I really feel like my, my mission is to save lives in the NHS, but to change lives through the training. And do you have like, um, do you have quite a, a linear career goal with regards to the NHS? Have you got somewhere where you want to end up? Um, not really. I think um, my attitude is 
and I know there's probably goes against what most people say. I don't really have my life goal, my life ambition. What I what I really do and what I try to do every day is just to work my hardest, find opportunities to excel, and to try to create um, a creative environment and space around me and my employees to try to just do the best that we can do every day. And if you do that, then I think opportunities um, will open. And then, because you don't, I think, I think it could be quite restrictive to set, you know, just have your, you know, your eyes on one particular fixed goal, because then, you know, so many things will pass you by. Okay, so there's, there's a medical career and there's education, you know, there's lots of ways that that can um, be combined and medical education is one of mm -hmm. them. So um, I'm going back to university next year to Cambridge to study medical education. Um, but as well as that, I'm like so passionate about the NHS and how much more efficient and effective it could be. And I think there's, a, I think for me personally, I can see lots of things that we do in the business world, in the private sector, that could be translated into public sector stuff. So I spent, I've just done a research project in the hospital, for example, looking at efficiency savings for oxygen supplies. And um, so we all know that across the world, countries have been um, running out of oxygen um, due to the pandemic. So I, you know, and then the company Elite Journey, we're doing lots of efficiency savings last year. So I thought, what can I do in the hospital? I can like see this, I can see there's a problem, but nobody is like really like trying to tackle it. Um, so, and I just did one study of one ward um, in the hospital. And I found that we could save millions of liters of oxygen per year, just in that one ward. So, um, yeah, I think my I think the ultimate career goal is to try to combine all of my lessons and learnings from Elite Journey with all of my knowledge of the NHS and I don't know, maybe forward and do something in medical education in the NHS or something in leadership. So we're gonna move on we're gonna move on to talk about challenges and setbacks. So we all have them. Um obviously in the last eighteen months, I can't imagine how much of a challenge it would have been for you with your dual career and has that been the biggest challenge and setback of your life well definitely the elephant in the room is definitely covid um which has been a massive setback for us but well it was in from the on paper it looked like a setback at the start but actually what we've managed to do is really turn it into something positive i think to steal some leadership theory um i did a pg cert in leadership management this year so i've got some theory on it um, I learned about, um, there's a theory called VUCA, and we all live in a VUCA world, where, you know, there's volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity, and complexity, and that's the world that we live in. And whenever COVID came along, um, that was just the perfect VUCA environment that we're living in, all of that volatility, complexity, uncertainty. And I think the setback for me leading Elite Journey was trying to overcome that uncertainty and ambiguity within all of our employees, because all of our employees from the UK were based out in China. COVID hit China earlier than it did the UK. So at the time we weren't really sure what was happening, but China was advising everyone to lock down. We're like, oh my God, this is madness. So we repatriated everybody back from China over to the UK. And it, all of our employees were like, what is going on? What are we going to do? Um, all of our business in China at that point had been canceled or postponed. They're like, is the company going to get through this? Like, there some new starters that had just joined the company that week. They'd just gone out to China. And then suddenly we were bringing them back to the UK again. It's like, did I leave my last job for the right reasons? Like, what am I doing? So for that, that was a really big VUCA problem um, for us. But the way that I sort of tried to overcome that was to try to combat that volatility by um, setting a vision and communicating that vision to everybody. What are we going to do? And in terms of the 
uncertainty. Um, it was all about trying to create understanding with everyone by unraveling what their worries were, what their fears were, what their anxieties were, and trying to trying to appease those and explain, you know, what we're doing. And in terms of the complexity, we wanted to, you know, use clarity to overcome that and try to make everything more clear with them, and um, so that they knew where we were headed, what we we're doing. And in terms of the ambiguity, what we really wanted to do and what we focused a lot of our energy on was to try to create that environment where the team could be as adaptable as possible and agile as possible. So, because we had to change our business model completely, we had to set up offices in the UK. We switched everything from, um, you know, face to face to online learning. Um, we used the, the crisis of COVID in order to, um, you know, use it as an opportunity to launch our international programs in the UK because we were initially mostly working just in Asia and um, but now we're working a lot more in the Western world we've got our new programs which launched in the UK this year and we also launched um, lots of new like university application mentoring um, schemes as well so all which says we've only been allowed to do that due to the fact that our team have been repatriated from China over to the UK and we've tried to make the most of it. Do you, do you think you would have done it without that though? Um, not at the same speed or acceleration as we have done. And I think, I think if COVID didn't happen, we probably would have focused more of our energy on the Asian market because that's where the whole team was. We knew that we were being successful there. So I think it would have took us a lot longer to get there. And um, so I think, um, I think COVID in a way has been, has been good for that aspect and helping our team realize um, how adaptable and flexible that we can be as a company. As a company, we've really tried to be there for um, all of our employees and our students throughout. So I think all of the employees really value that in us and value value what, what we've done for them over the past year. And they can see how we've been so flexible and accommodating and agile. And I think that will stick. Just sort of by like money making hat on, they, it's essentially giving you like an online revenue <clears throat> which when your offline stuff comes back online, or that is about to come back online, or it's, you know, it will be imminent. Yeah. So it's, it's allowed you to that, like a free pass for 18 months to try, not a free pass, but you've had a period where you can actually develop another revenue stream, stream and then the other revenue stream, which being your online stuff or your offline stuff, when one comes back on, yeah. actually the business will be in a much better position Definitely. than it would have been otherwise. Because obviously I know you said like, oh, thinking about focusing in, in you know, in China, well, that's that just went on pause, really, didn't it? And you're like, yeah. well, let's focus on this. So essentially, now you've got two different business revenue streams: exactly. one that's about to come back online, and then actually this other one, which actually mitigates your risk if you if you if you think about it. Exactly. So over the past eighteen months, um, obviously, all of our revenue beforehand was through face to face. We didn't yeah. do any online at all. So this past eighteen months has been trying to mitigate the loss in revenue that we couldn't get from hosting all of our face to face stuff. Um, but yet, you're exactly right. What we've done over the past 18 months is build this extra revenue stream that we can now use in parallel um, to the one which we previously had. And we've seen that just this week in China, we've launched um, our host of residential summer camps and programs in China. So we've got 600 students um, taking part this summer in our programs in China. But alongside that, um, we have our online learning that's happening as well. But the online learning has really helped us to um, really meet our business objectives as well because we want to you know create accountable global citizens so by doing online and through all of the technology that we've got so used to using over the past year we can now host lessons with students from every corner of the world and we've done that 
you know, during the autumn last year, we're doing it now where we have students from China in a class with students from the UK learning together. And that's just amazing. That would not have happened um, pre-COVID. At the start of the pandemic, obviously crisis mode um, is there and you need to bring people from that zone of chaos to zone of certainty and agreement. And you have to make fast decisions. And, and that's whenever your team, whenever you need to create that environment for the team to be really adaptive and, and agile. And that's whenever you often get the best out of your team. So that was really good. But then after that chaos, it sort of calmed down a bit. And then I think COVID, it's forced that pause that everyone needs, I think, to do the reflection, which you hadn't been doing, which you're too warmed up and everything else, and to introspect, to retrospectively look at what you've been doing, where you're going to go. So I think it's been a really good natural reflection point in order to really get things aligned and, and to work out where you're going to go next. I've found that I've I've found that over the period of COVID as well, I've found much better sources of inspiration. Yeah. I've like had the time to like allocate to like finding my inspiration yeah. as opposed to like it finding you, which is the whole point yeah. of social media. But I've had more time to like look at stuff on social media and look at where that sort of like points of inspiration are coming from. And that's really helped me in my own personal development actually. Like um, one of the very first, one of the things I really was looking at when I was looking at Barack Obama quote when we when it first hit it was like when you're at fifty one percent you've made your decision yeah and it's like that's so true like when you're at fifty one percent you have made your decision so the start point I was just like if, are you fifty one percent yeah decision made are you fifty one percent decision made because it felt like they had to make so many decisions yeah. and that's helped massively like. And that being at that 51%, like I said, allows you to take those risks that yeah. you, know, you maybe you would have been 80% sure last time. You're like, mm, it's a bit too risky. And COVID, fingers crossed, is a once in a lifetime experience. Please, please. <laughs> fingers you work for the NHS, so you, you should know better than us. I'm not so sure it will be. I think we're, I think there's going to be more to come. But I think it's, like you said, about personal development and professional development, it's provided a really unique opportunity from people at all levels, of all companies, from all walks of life to really have that experience of managing change, dealing with change, dealing with adversity and, and developing a resilience, which I don't think people have really needed for in this scale in order to get through something like COVID. Um, so I think I've seen in a lot of our employees have developed so much over the past year, being able to manage that change, develop professionally and personally, you know, just dealing with everything um, in terms of their own mental well-being as well. COVID is really, I think for me highlighted the difference between leading and managing. Yeah. Um, I think before that it was very easy just to manage things, you know, get stuff done. But in a crisis, what you really need is a leader to take someone from that, from on, on the graph of, you know, chaos to agreement and certainty amongst everyone. You really need a leader to set the vision and to provide that vision and articulate it through constant two-way communication and to, to inspire people yeah. in order to bring them back to that zone of, agreement and certainty and that, that's what a leader does so with your sort of like driving determination so where where does where does it come from for you like how are you packaging that up or where can you tell somebody else to go and find it or can well, you find it are you born with it i don't i think it's well i think lots of my driving determination came from the environment which i was growing up in so i grew up in a dairy farm in the middle of northern ireland and my parents were farmers and hadn't gone to university or anything like that and the one thing that I always remember my parents used to say to me, which I don't know if it's the right, if it's the right parenting strategy or not, but they said, you study hard at school because if you don't study, you'll not get a job and you'll be homeless. Um, so so that, that was like, 
the catchphrase. My parents are like, study hard, otherwise you'll not get a job and you'll be homeless. I was like, okay, I've got to study hard if I want to live somewhere when I'm older. So I think, um, I think lots of my early drive and determination um, from school came from that. And I, I, I realised that we grew up in a not very well off um, background um, and I wanted to do better for myself whenever I grew up. So I think lots of my early drive and determination came from there. And then I think as I've grown older, gone through university, I think most of it comes from, I think most of my drive and determination comes from me not wanting to be bored. Fair enough, <laughs> Fair enough. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I really just like, I need to be doing something constantly because I don't know, I think I have this like ultimate fear of if I'm doing nothing, then I'll just get lost in my thoughts and oh, that's a dangerous route to go down. Yeah. Um, so I think lots of it comes um, from that and trying to build on my other success and just really wanting to better myself and to and to yeah just keep improving myself so i think that's where the inherent stuff comes from where can you find that though i'm not so sure i don't know if it's i don't know i think you're i think you're quite complex from listening to you i think that like you've got like like the fear of being bored which is through like a lack of stimulation so then you like challenge your brain to stimulate yourself with ideas and then you seem to be someone that's like, if I don't take action on these ideas, when that was just all a complete waste of time as well. Yeah, yeah. I try to find a purpose and everything. It's weird. It, and it means that sometimes I work ridiculously long hours and I end up, you know, working for ages and things and taking on way more than I probably should sometimes. So I think it's really important to try to build in that structure to your life to mean that, you know, that you don't get carried away with yourself. But um, I think at any one time, I definitely have about 10 different projects going on um, but that's what keeps me interested and excited about things and stimulated and it means that I ultimately don't get bored because if I start getting bored of one project then I've got something else that I can be working on then I can move to the next one the next one and I, and I keep going around but I think for me what makes me successful at doing that is that I don't leave these projects left open-ended I really want to finish them off yeah. and to make make something good from them that's a skill because I would imagine I think a, a lot of a bear trap that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into a lot of like the work that I do with like younger kids younger 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 people that are trying to like be entrepreneurs and say yeah. not everyone can work on multiple things mm. all of the time that that's a skill like yeah. you can either do that or you can't and they there's this notion of being an entrepreneur that's like working on like we working on loads of stuff all at one yeah. go but you can centralise that into one project or a number of projects. So I think that's like a, that's a, a skill to be able to, but knowing that it needs to, needs to be closed, that's where most people go wrong. They don't actually yeah. close it. It's always an open-ended thing yeah. that's never finished. Yeah, you need to close that loop. And, yeah. that, and that's how you can be successful, I think. So like, what would be your tips for people thinking about starting a business? I think it's really difficult because there's always a lot of luck involved and I can't give tips on luck. No. Um, I know I'm Irish, but <laughs> I, can't, I can't give away luck or give you tips on how to find it unless you get to the end of a rainbow or something. Um, but I think it's about trying to find opportunity and to, um, and to create opportunity for yourself because you've got to be active. You can't just sit back and... Um, and just hope for the best. You've got to really be active. There's a lot of hard work in, involved in being an entrepreneur. It all sounds glamorous and, um, and you know, these things will come, but it's not. It's lots of hard work. It's lots of long hours and, and worrying and things as well. So I think, you know, you've really got to find the opportunity and then work hard. You've got to work hard in order to make that opportunity into something. 
Um, but I also think just put yourself out there. I think to all of um, my employees, what I would say to them is to put, set yourself outside of your comfort zone and to get involved in things that you're not really used to and talk to people. You can constantly learn from other people, whether you know you might have a, a, a first distinction from the top university in the world and think you know everything, you don't. Um, there are, people will always know more than you, um, but some something, some aspect of life. And so I think just by talking to people, A, you can connect, you can network, but also it's about learning life lessons from other people and to, and to learn about them and how they've done things. I totally agree with the luck piece. Like you can't give anybody advice on luck. It doesn't, yeah. it just, you could say you make your own luck is, and I'm a big believer that you do make your own luck, uh, but there is an element of luck to it. But um, I think the one thing that most entrepreneurs now, young entrepreneurs struggle with is, is graft. Yeah. It's like, you've got to be prepared to outwork Everybody. So if you could go back to your teenage self, what advice would you give yourself? What would you tell? Is there anything you would tell yourself to do differently? Is there anything you worried about then that you shouldn't have been worried about? I, oh yeah, I was a, I was a massive worrier as a kid. So I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give to my teenage self would be, don't give a shit what anyone else thinks about you. Just do what makes you happy. And I think if you do that, then you're on the right track. I totally agree. I totally agree. The moment you can stop worrying about what others think about you, the easier your life becomes. Yeah, and once you, whenever you're thinking about what others think about you, then you're constantly, you've got this inner voice, this inner critic, and that then becomes other people, it becomes yourself, and you're just talking, just abuse to yourself. Mm. Whenever you really start worrying about it, oh, people hate me, or they're going to think this is weird, why am I doing that? And I think it's really important to try to, try to you know, we've all got these inner critics, but have a compassionate inner critic who's going to like help empower you and help enthuse you to go on and, and to be passionate about whatever you're doing. And um, what's next then? What's next for you? Next for me, um, there's a few things. So in Elite Journey, we are rapidly expanding our international functions. So we have launched our first uh, program specifically based at students in the UK this year. We've launched an um, international university application mentoring scheme and we're also launching fingers crossed um with um the end of the covid pandemic and um, lots of our international travel programs um as well so we've got camps hopefully in bali singapore japan and um, all coming back up again which were in plans pre-covid but now um, we want to get back on those again probably gonna get a boom on those as well aren't you i would yeah. have thought that they could see a proper surge of people just wanted to go and do something yeah well fingers crossed kids have been locked up for mm. so long and all of our programs like i said are about soft skills but really looking at their mental health and well-being and you know in uh, the world right now i think it's at any one time between 10 and 20 percent of students are struggling with their mental health so if you have a class of 20 people and, um, you know, that's going to be, you know, four or five students are struggling with their mental health. So it's a big problem. And the pandemic has only made that so much worse. And um, so in our programs, it's a bit of escapism, learning soft skills, focusing on mindfulness and well-being and um, and having fun. And um, my one of my mantras, many, is work hard, play hard. Um, and we really want our students and our camps really to work really hard and to get that energy and passion and um, but also play hard and have fun. So, um yeah, fingers crossed. Mine's work hard, work hard, play hard, dream hard, and dreams come true. Uh, 
Mm. I'm gonna have to add some lines. So that completes this episode of Spotlight With. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and we'll see you really soon for some more episodes.